Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. You can find all of my work at www.chrisrawl.com. You can find me on Twitter or on Facebook under the Chris Rawl Show. And if you want to contact me in any way, email me at chris at ceo.com. Now, on to today's episode, where we discuss the difference between the NBA and every other sports league. A major requirement for keeping me tuned in as a viewer is that I need to know the creator's care. This is true in a lot of ways. I'm reading a book. I need to know that the author cares about what they are writing about. I need to feel their knowledge on the subject. I need to feel their passion on the subject. I need to see that reflected in the words that I'm consuming. Same thing with a podcast. I need to see those things. I need to see knowledge. I need to see passion. I need to see the beautiful blend that they can create when they're put together and words form and I'm the one who is consuming it. And I go, hmm, this has opened up avenues in my brain that didn't necessarily exist before. That's what I crave in art. That's what I crave in entertainment, TV shows, movies, all of this kind of stuff. There are a lot of things that attract me to it, but on a very, very, very basic level. That is my number one priority. I need to know the creators care about this because that in turn unlocks my ability to care. It's very strange to care about something that the person making it does not care about, right? It makes sense. Sports are no different here because amidst all the stuff that attracts me to the world of sports, Again, the artistic side, the gambling side, the breathtaking athleticism, a lot of the stuff that I'm always talking about. On a very basic level here as well, my desire is to understand that this particular event that I'm watching on the screen or in person, it means something to the participants. This is my craving as a viewer. Uh, The NFL season just finished. We're all sad about it. I'm probably even sadder than you. But this is a big draw of the sport. You can watch any NFL game and you will get this vibe. Whether it's in the regular season, think back to the first month of the season and the Packers play the Niners on Sunday night, NBC, stirring drive at the end. Rodgers sets up a field goal for Mason Crosby and he's freaking out and everybody's going, man, this guy's a decade plus into his career. He's late 30s and it just seems like this is the Super Bowl for him. This is the first month of the season. You see that from every team, from all these players within the league. You see it in the Super Bowl this less than a week ago when the Rams are jumping around and Aaron Donald's running and pointing to the ring finger and saying, give it to me. You get a sense always within the sport of football that players care. And part of this is because the sport is built so strongly upon physicality. Just that really basic, I'm going to try and dominate you. And you can't really stay afloat in a sport like that if you don't care, if you don't desire to, A, first and foremost, just protect yourself and try to inflict that same level of physicality onto your opponent. Again, that's why I love the sport so much. It's the blend of cerebral, but also physical. And when you get that at its best, as you do in the NFL, I never for a second doubt that the participants care because, again, if they didn't, they would get obliterated. 
Now, we transition to a different part of the sports calendar now. Again, very sad time for all of us because the calendar is void of football. And so I start to shift gears and I start to tweak my viewing habits of what I'm watching. And as I do that, I think strongly about this particular idea that is tied into my own viewing desires and what attracts me as said viewer. It's that question. Who cares about the sport they are participating in? Game in, game out. Who is caring? So much like the NFL, this is a big draw for me to the sport of hockey, the NHL. Because you can watch any game and you do not doubt whether the participants care about said hockey game. Earlier this week, fantastic doubleheader on TNT. Panthers and the Hurricanes lead into the Avalanche and the Knights. It's four of the six best teams in hockey. And it's the regular season. It's February. In the grand scheme of things, these games really don't mean anything. But as a viewer, both these games are electric because I'm watching them and they're fast and they're physical and never for a second am I doubting that their participants care. Very important thing for me. You get that in the regular season. You especially get that in the playoffs. Part of why I will put the Stanley Cup playoffs up against anything in any sport, NFL and college football included, my two favorites. Because... This particular idea is threaded into the DNA of the sport of hockey, that you sacrifice anything and everything to win a Stanley Cup. It's a basic level of entering into the NHL, much like on the viewer side. Basic thing for me is, hey, I just want to know that people will care. And that makes me care because I can watch this and I get a sense that this game means something. You can see that reflected in a million examples throughout the history of this sport. Just this season for my team, the Colorado Avalanche, Nathan McKinnon gets his face fractured on a crazy play against the Bruins. And he's back in less than two weeks, something that would probably, A, kill me, but B, if I survived, <laughs> I wouldn't be playing hockey again. I'd be curled up on a ball and just thinking about the non-contact sports I can play. And instead, he's back on the ice in less than two weeks and he's flying around the ice and setting up goals against the Knights. And I just go, why is this guy rushing back from a destroyed face to just play in the regular season? It's because hockey players care. Last time the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup, 2001, their star player, Peter Forsberg, my favorite hockey player of all time, he essentially donates his spleen in their second-round playoff series against the LA Kings that goes seven games. He gets it ruptured, I believe, uh, in Game 5, and it gets stretched out to Game 7. And the Avs end up winning Game 7 to advance to the Western Conference Finals against the Blues. And they have to have emergency surgery to remove his ruptured spleen. And they're like, you're kind of lucky. This could have been fatal, which is freaky. At the same time, it builds into the lore of the sport. Just these players care immensely. And again, there's plenty of examples of this. I'm sure all of you who listen, who watch hockey and follow your own favorite teams, you could pull a million examples like this out of a hat. Whether from the regular season, stuff that's just forgotten or not even known by casual random viewers of hockey, or whether in the playoffs when people are playing on broken legs and ruptured shoulders and all this kind of stuff. 
That's reflected when I watch. Again, in the regular season and in the playoffs. That's important that it's happening on both of these levels. That's the number one reason that I love this sport. So another sport that we're starting to see heat up. And we're about a month away from its climax. College basketball, which I've been watching more than I usually do over the last few weeks. And the play, strictly from a basketball perspective, is never the finest. I think that's kind of why my viewing tastes over time have shifted in certain areas. What I loved, loved, loved before, maybe I don't now, and what I didn't as much before, I love now. But college basketball I used to follow as closely as possible back in my teenage years. And I think that as I grew older, the quality of the play stood out to me to where I said, I still like this, but I'll just kind of tune in when it's March Madness and ride that roller coaster and it's really fun. But I don't feel compelled to watch the night in, night out stuff that I did in my youth when I'd watch December games and January games and the big Monday and all that kind of stuff. But as I'm revisiting college basketball with a month and change to go before March Madness, one thing has been sticking out to me. Maybe, again, tastes are changing and I'm starting to value different things than I did in the past because I've enjoyed it. And the thing that has been sticking out is much like in the NFL and college football and the NHL. I get a sense that the players care about playing basketball and about trying to win. Now, that's the biggest draw of March Madness. You know, it's a single elimination tournament between 68 teams now that we know are going to scratch and claw like hell to try and win. But you also see that reflected over this last week as I'm watching a game like Villanova-Providence. Pretty high-quality basketball game, but just scrappy as hell, and everybody was there to try and win that game. Or as I'm watching Baylor-Texas Tech, another game between ranked teams that just all 10 players on the court at all times, everybody who's in the crowd, everybody who's participating in the atmosphere of this particular game, you got a sense. Everybody here cares. Now, this is the sign of a good sport to me. One that is worth following from start to finish. Again, that's important to remember, from start to finish. Because the sign of a good sport is that you want to receive or you want to see this this attitude reflected throughout the entire season. Hey, I care. And because I care, you should care. Again, it's why the NFL is king and college football is right behind it. And it's also why as we shift viewing habits, because those sports are gone, it's why the NHL and college basketball have a leg up over the other sport that is currently taking place, the NBA. So I'll preface everything I'm about to say by acknowledging two things. Number one, I've been an NBA fan my whole life. And number two, I'm always fascinated by how my viewing habits shift gears as time goes on. And I'm at kind of a crossroads right now as I bounce in and out of NBA games. And I've really started over the last couple of years and really, I'm feeling it greatly this year, I've just started to feel my interest wane. A sport that I used to follow from the start of the season as 
closely as I could till the end. I don't feel that need or desire as much as I used to. And I want to speak about that because the NBA and, and basketball as a sport, those are two things that I care about. But I also believe that this league in particular could be infinitely better in this area that I keep talking about. Creating a product that its own participants care about from season start to season's end, which in turn unlocks that best possible viewing product for me, the viewer, for you, the viewer. Now, there's been a lot of stuff that has kind of gone into this, and I can only speak about my own personal thoughts and beliefs and feelings as my NBA fandom has stretched out over the course of 30-odd years. And it might be different from you, how you felt before, how you feel now. You might agree or disagree with certain stuff I'm saying. But I want to kind of go through what I think has occurred and where we stand now currently as a league and as viewers here sitting, wanting or not wanting to watch the league. Now, there's been some big factors that have kind of diminished the on-court product, especially throughout the course of the regular season as we're seeking this holy grail of, I want you to care from the start of the season to the end because viewers are going to love that. Uh, load management, that's been a big thing. Big, big controversial thing that has really taken off over the last decade plus. And at first I didn't really care about it. And as it's kind of swamped over the league, I've started to care more about it because I want to watch the best players play. And I just don't like that I can't do that during the course of the regular season, especially during the dog days of the season when football's done and we're into February and March Madness hasn't hit. And I'm going, give me something to tune into on a random Wednesday night or a Monday night or whatever. And I see a game and I go, oh, sweet. Yeah, this should be a reasonable NBA game. And then I tune in and, oh, Joel Embiid sitting and Jason Tatum sitting or LeBron's out because his knee's feeling a little old. And, oh, we'll just, you know, go down the list. Luca's sitting out tonight because he ate too much Cafe Rio last night. Who the hell knows why anybody's sitting out? The main point is they are. Uh, within the last couple of years, COVID has obviously thrown a big monkey wrench into this particular idea as well of, hey, how, how can we have the best possible on-court product? And that's been unavoidable. You know, a pandemic has swept over the world and COVID protocol has been put into place by the NBA. And so now we've had large portions of the season, especially this year, about two months ago or so, where just rosters are getting decimated because everybody's got to go into COVID protocol and now you're having these G League teams show up. And again, this is unavoidable, but it's just another thing in this uh, ingredient blend, so to speak, where I'm going, ah, that sucks, but there's really no incentive for me at this point to watch the Utah Jazz G League team come and play the Dallas Mavericks G League team. It's just not something that I'm interested in doing. I don't watch minor league sports. I don't care to. I want to watch the best players play every night. And if that's not happening, I, I need further incentives to be able to watch. So COVID, 
hopefully we're going to come to a resolution with that sooner rather than later. But the issues outside of that, they're still going to remain. Load management, getting best players to play, period, getting them to care, because as we've seen with a lot of stars in the league, even when they're playing, sometimes you just get a really, really intense feeling that, ah, they don't really care about this game that they're playing in. It's mid-January or early December, and James Harden's out there, and he's just kind of coasting through this regular season game that to him doesn't mean anything, which in turn, as a viewer, I go, well, why would I care about this game then? Now, the biggest issue, one that I've spoken to in the past, one that I will speak to again, and one that has become ingrained in the DNA of the NBA, very different from the DNA of the NHL is that tanking is okay. That's really risen, again, over the last decade plus, I would say. Whether it's the process Sixers, whether it's the current state of the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have somehow managed to draft three NBA MVPs and trade them all away, and stockpile all these draft picks, and they're patting themselves on the back, and I'm going, okay, that's cool, but I don't get it. Shouldn't you want to just try and retain these MVPs? These that you had isn't the point to get MVPs and then try and win championships with them. I don't know. But it's just this idea that a lot of teams have embraced, that the grass is always greener five years down the road. So we don't care if we punt on this season. We don't care if we punt on the next three years or five years. We're willing to be as bad as possible, stockpile assets, draft picks, trade away anybody on our roster who we think is good to stockpile more of that. And then we can build up this war chest. And then five years down the road, we'll be in perfect position to build up a championship level team. So this has become very bothersome to me as time has gone on as a viewer. And my qualms with it is that I don't really think the NBA as an organization actually cares that tanking has become part of the DNA of the sport. They pay lip service to it. They say they do, and they've taken half measures, I would say, in certain instances, and some, I think, are good steps. The playing tournament, I would say, qualifies as that. It's not a full measure, but it's a half measure, and I think it's incentivized teams that in the past would just punt on the season by January to try and fight tooth and nail for the 10 spot or the 9 spot, as we've seen with the Pelicans trading for C.J. McCollum. And now I think they're in the 11 seed, I want to say, in the Western Conference or the Sacramento Kings, who just they are a clown car of an organization and everybody's stuffed in it and honking each other's noses. But still, they're trading for Demonis Sabonis at the trade deadline and saying, we're going all in, even though we're the 13 seed at this point in time to try and get that 10 seed. It's not smart, but at the same time, as we're going through the dog days of February and me, the viewer, is saying, why do I want to tune into this Sacramento Kings game in February? Oh, these guys are still trying and they care. Okay, that's a reasonable enough thing for me to maybe dip in. So now we get to the biggest story so far of the NBA season, which fittingly is not on the court. It's the trade of James Harden and Ben Simmons. And I think it's interesting to examine through this lens. 
because for me, it's very representative of the last decade plus in the NBA and this ideology, which has been formulated over this time frame, which is now being reflected by the faces of the league. A, tanking is okay. B, we don't really have to care about a lot of stuff. We can pick and choose regular season, maybe playoffs, maybe whatever. But the main point is we don't have to bring it every night. So I mentioned that trade and I want to represent, or I want to talk about the trade itself and then a player who is not involved in the trade. So essentially three people here, two that represent the current state of the league and why I am disinterested in it relative to my past. And one who represents kind of the salve to the wound, the exception to the rule, the person that I point to and say, wait, wait, why, why can you not channel more of that? So the Simmons-Harden swap, it's kind of perfect for this point in time in the league because never has a trade symbolized what a league currently is more than this one. On the one hand, we have James Harden, who at this point in time is probably most notorious, not for winning MVPs in Houston, but for just being willing to get fat and give no effort until he is traded two different times within the course of a calendar year. That is an astounding statement. He did it on Houston. He said, I know you moved heaven and earth to try to build a championship team around me, but I don't want to be here anymore. And so I'm going to eat as much as I can. I'm going to just waddle around the court. And I'm going to just be a generally pretty dysfunctional individual for this franchise until you're willing to trade me. So they do. They trade him to the Nets. And he has a brief fleeting happiness where he goes, the grass is greener. Think back to that tanking strategy. Grass is always greener elsewhere, not here. So he goes elsewhere. And he says, oh, the Nets, we're going to be this dynasty. Look at the three of us, me and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. What star power? And we're going to win 50 championships and we're going to fit perfectly together. And then that honeymoon lasted for virtually no time at all. And less than a year later, what was James Harden doing? He was getting fat and he was giving no effort. He's pouting and he's generally being a dysfunctional individual until he was traded to the Sixers where he's now saying, oh, I can't wait to play with Joel Embiid. And man, this was the team I want to go to all along. Rockets traded me to the wrong team because the grass is greener here in Philly. Maybe it is. Uh, I'm a little skeptical on that front because James Harden as a player, he's only been willing to give max effort on his own terms, which is something I don't desire in a player on a team that I'm rooting for or gambling on. I, I always desire the, the NHL style of player or the NFL style of player for the most part, college football style player, college basketball, where I get a sense this person gives a shit and they want to win and they're willing to do whatever that takes whether it means less shots, whether it means diving on the floor for loose balls, whether it means taking a puck in the face, or just going and blocking some 300-pound behemoth in football for an entire game, everybody is willing to do that. 
James Harden is representative of how the NBA is different in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'll give max effort, but it has to be on my own terms. If I'm in Houston, you have to build the entire offense around me. I will decide every shot. I will make every pass. Everybody else is just going to go sit in a corner. And I'm going to give no effort on defense to top because I'm tired after utilizing this heliocentric approach on the offensive side. And now I need stars and you need to trade for them in Houston. And they bring in Chris Paul, who's a hell of a basketball player. And the closest they ever came to winning an NBA championship was with Chris Paul. When they took the Kevin Durant Golden State Warriors to seventh game of the Western Conference Finals. And in that series, Houston takes a 3-2 lead. And Chris, Chris Paul's hamstring pops at the end of game five and he's out for game six and game seven. They end up losing. That offseason, James Harden's not happy because it's James Harden and he wants to do things on his own terms. And so he demands Chris Paul be traded because Chris Paul, he infringed upon the dynamic. He, yeah, sometimes Chris Paul might need the ball because he's the best point guard of the last 20 years. <laughs> and... James Harden didn't like that Chris Paul tried to hold him accountable for being a lazy ass and for just bitching refs all the time and wandering around on defense and not carrying every other game. So Chris Paul's shuttled out the door and they bring in Russell Westbrook and then I don't like him either, so I want to get out of here. Just trade me. All of this stuff, it's, it's the physical embodiment of the NBA's tanking strategy developed over the course of the last decade plus. The idea that I will not try until I get what I want. Organizationally, let's just be the process sixers. Let's be the thunder. We can just be as bad as we want, get draft picks, fine. Who cares? The NBA doesn't. James Harden, same thing. Uh, things aren't going well here, even though, again, Houston moved heaven and earth to try and help me win a championship. Eh, just pump me somewhere else. Take me to the Nets. Oh, not pleased here? Uh, pump me somewhere else. I'm just not going to try until I get that. So this is the nexus of my issue as a viewer with the sport currently because I can't respect that. I don't desire to watch that take place, more importantly. Your individual decisions, they're your own. Great, go and do them. But what I'm picking and choosing, what I in particular want to consume, I need the thing that I talked about at the start of the show. In books, in TV shows, in movies, in any work of art or entertainment, I need to know the creator's care. Now, this, in my opinion, is the number one thing that the NBA should be searching for. And instead, we have faces of the league who embody what, as an organization, the NBA has allowed. And in my opinion, just turned a blind eye and, and by doing that, encouraged. Just tank. Just don't give a shit until you get what you want. Ben Simmons, the other side of the trade, it's not much better than what Harden was doing. It's the same vein. His feelings were hurt in Philly because he doesn't know how to shoot and he doesn't know how to shoot free throws. And he seems generally unwilling to improve in those areas. We haven't seen even a sliver of improvement in his ability to shoot jumpers or to shoot free throws. And that really hamstrings a team come playoff time. Because when you know that... You feel very comfortable 
funneling the ball into his hands. And then when that occurs, he looks like a deer in the headlights. And he has the famous play against the Hawks in Game 7 where he can just easily dunk it, and he goes, no, I don't, I, I don't know what to do here. And he just passes. So his feelings are hurt in Philadelphia, and so he adopts the Harden strategy. Just, I'm, I'm not going to show my face until you trade me. I don't want to be here. Granted, your guys' critiques of me are completely valid if you're trying to win. Because you're supposed to be one of our best players. In this case, you're supposed to be Philly's second best player behind Embiid. And you know what we need from the second best player on a team that is trying to win a championship? You need improvement. You need to cover up the warts that teams can expose in the playoffs. You just don't seem willing to do that. It's a valid critique. Instead, he goes, nah, I, I'm, I'm out of here. Trade me. I'll come back when I'm traded. Now we see him back on the Nets bench and he's happy. He's having a grand old time. He's saying, oh, I'm getting ready, ramping it up. I'm ready to go. So now I go back to being the viewer and I go, how is this stuff good for the league? On an individual level, as we've seen within the Harden-Simmons trade dynamic or organizationally on a team-by-team basis and overarching umbrella of the league. How is this good? How is this appealing to viewers? Do all of these entities really love this style of drama so much, this Real Housewives, Bachelor-style, off-court stuff? Do they really love this so much that they're willing to punt the on-court product for large portions of the season? It seems like they are. Me, as the viewer who just wants to watch basketball and doesn't necessarily care about what Kyrie Irving is doing on his Instagram live feed, I go, I don't get it. This is a turnoff to me as I try to watch a sport. You can have all that stuff going on around it. That's fine. I don't care. But at its core, the NBA is the National Basketball Association. And I want to watch a sport where I know that players care about the craft that they are paid millions of dollars to do. Seems reasonable. But as it turns out, it feels increasingly unreasonable by the day. Now, I mentioned a player earlier, and this is who I'm going to wrap up with. Chris Paul, guy who was traded to play with James Harden and then was banished because he cared, <laughs> actually. And Chris Paul, he has he has his own eccentricities is probably the nicest way to describe them. The flopping, the bitching, all that kind of stuff. Just, I don't like it, but... Again, it's part of the DNA of the NBA now. Everybody does it. It's not enjoyable. But from a competitive standpoint, Chris Paul is everything that I want the NBA to be as a viewer. And I'll make a quick note that it's notable that Chris Paul's attitude sticks out like a sore thumb. People are always praising him in NBA circles. Man, look at how much this guy cares drags his team. He's always there night in, night out. It's notable that this sticks out because in any other sport, it would fit amongst many other like-minded individuals. Pick the NFL, pick college football or basketball, pick the NHL. And Chris Paul would be one of many competitors who I watch on a February night and say, Ooh, that guy gives a shit. And this is actually kind of fun to watch, even though this game doesn't really mean anything. I got some money on it or I don't, 
but I can watch it and enjoy it because I know that Chris Paul is always out there caring. Again, it's strange to note that in the NBA, somebody who wants to win above all else and is willing to sacrifice every night, regular season or playoffs, in order to try and obtain that is an outlier. It is notable to look at that. I'll point at what I think is the defining season of Chris Paul's career as the NBA hopefully searches for the antidote for this era they've entered into. It's not the finest statistical season of his career by any means. It's not the finest season of his career from a team success standpoint. But for me, the defining season of Chris Paul's career is the 2019-2020 NBA season. It's when he's traded. He's banished from Houston because he told James Harden, what the hell? (laughs) What's going on here? And he's traded to Oklahoma City in a truly astounding trade in retrospect because Houston shipped alongside Chris Paul two first-round picks and two second-round pick swaps for Russell Westbrook. Truly astounding in retrospect, but that's a whole other story. Again, this is because James Harden didn't want him there. The grass is always greener. Ship Chris Paul up. Russell Westbrook, he'll be great by me. Oh, wait, a year later? No, he's not. He's just bad at basketball, and he only wants to win on his own terms. And as it turns out, That's a problem when you have two people fighting for the ball with that exact same mindset as we saw in Houston. But back to Oklahoma City. They're supposed to be atrocious. A lot of people think they're going to be tanking. Their Vegas win total at the start of the season is set at 32. And everybody, I remember this vividly, is hammering the under because they go, Oklahoma City, it's in their best interest to tank. They've shown the willingness to do that in the past. Chris Paul is not going to want to play there. He's an aging star. They're going to trade him, and that win total should be even lower because they're going to win 18 games once he's off this roster. Are you kidding me? And everybody was wrong. The Thunder end up winning 44 games, exceed their Vegas win total by 12, a total that everybody already thought was crazily high. Make the playoffs is, I believe, a five seed. And it's all because Chris Paul takes the reins. And he says, all right, this young team, there's nobody here. I'm a dude who can't flick this switch off. Uh, Chris Paul, for all of his eccentricities, is a competitor. So he's an aging star. And he brings it to Oklahoma City. And he says, step in line, and I'll show you guys how to play basketball every night, and I'll show you how to give a shit. And nothing, nothing in the NBA over the last decade will ever showcase my desire as a viewer more than Chris Paul's 2019-2020 season. A dude who truly gives a shit at all times, and if he's on the court, he is trying to win. That was that season. Oklahoma City throws him a bone afterwards. They say, thank you, this was kind of incredible. Cool story. We're going to trade you to Phoenix. They're a bunch of young, talented individuals, but they've never won at any level, and we don't know if they can. And he's completely changed the scope of Phoenix's franchise by bringing the same attitude, the same desire, the same competitiveness. We've seen that. That team, from an emotional perspective, is the embodiment of Chris Paul. It's how they make the NBA Finals last year. It's how they have the best record in basketball this year. And it all goes back to that 2020 Oklahoma City season. And I look at that and I say... 
is a question to the league, is a question to viewers of the league. Is there any other star in the NBA that would have done the same thing in this situation? And I honestly don't think there is. I don't think there is one star in the NBA that if you put them in that situation would have said, all right, I'm not going to demand a trade. I'm going to come and grind it out every night in December or January or March, even though there's not a lot of talent on this team. And as an organization, I'm not sure if we're tanking or not, but I'm not personally. And so let's go. Especially in Chris Paul's specific situation, a dude who has no championships, who's continually pissed on for that in ways that I do not believe are fair, a dude who's nearing the tail end of his career at this point in time, and still, despite those things, doesn't demand a trade, doesn't hang his head, doesn't mope around on the court when he's playing, he goes to a basketball wasteland and is the reason that his team makes the playoffs. Now, I can't stress this enough. This is what I want as a viewer. This is very important to me. You might disagree. You might agree wholeheartedly. I've been speaking about this a lot recently with NBA fans in my life, and I hear similar sentiments echoed. Just, ah, I want to watch a sport where players care about the thing that they're doing. Because what is my incentive to tune into early season games or games in mid-February right now? If that's not there, what is my incentive? Do I want to watch fat James Harden waddle around the court and fake a hamstring injury? No, probably not. Do I want to watch Ben Simmons hide in a layer somewhere while less talented players take his place? Not really. Not that interesting to me. Do I want to watch a million different stars load manage? Do I want to watch a handful of teams start tanking for draft picks before the calendar even reaches January? I want to look at the bottom of the standings and see the Magic and the Pistons and the Pacers and the Rockets and the Thunder and all these decrepit teams just swirl around the toilet. No, not really. And that's the crux of the issue. As we shift gears out of football, we go into college basketball, NHL, NBA, and golf season. And I say, this is a problem. I, I honestly think this is a problem. And I'm kind of shocked that I don't get a sense that the NBA as an organization cares. Because I say, this should be the number one thing on the NBA's plate. Just whatever you need to do, go and find a way to mirror what other sports have in spades. Players and teams who give a shit throughout the regular season and the playoffs from start to end. That is important. And are willing to show that on a game-by-game -game basis. That doesn't exist right now. It just doesn't. Part of what is a problem for me individually as I try to generate interest and say, eh, I just, I just don't feel like tuning into this game in February. But you have an example of this within your own sport. It's not James Harden, it's not Ben Simmons, it's not a lot of other people, but you have something there. And as they move forward, my hope is that the entire league from the top down, whether that's organizations, owners, coaches, players, Adam Silver, the commissioner, you name it, everybody involved. My hope is that the entire league looks over at Chris Paul and says, how do we find that? 
Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Reminder, please subscribe and download to The Chris Rawl Show and on whatever app you listen to it on, rate it five stars and give it a review. Thank you and peace. Peace.